Hello friends, welcome or welcome back. This is the Overview Effect with James Perrin. This is the podcast where I like to get into the space of big picture thinking, particularly around nature and humanity. You know, there's something around thinking big and taking that big perspective that kind of snaps us out of the day-to-day or week-to-week routines and distractions that we're constantly facing. So thank you for listening. I'm really excited for today's episode. I want to start by acknowledging that this podcast is recorded on Bundjalung land. I want to pay my respects to members of the Bundjalung community, all Indigenous people in Australia, and in fact, all First Nations people around the world. So here we are. This is episode nine. It's mid-November. Obviously, so much has happened this year. It's been a crazy year. The ongoing coronavirus pandemic, we've just had the US presidential elections and, you know, all the media cycle that that's brought and continues to bring. We're just bombarded with so much information that we can kind of lose track of significant events that happened not that long ago. It it was a year ago that the beginning of our horrific black summer of bushfires started here in Australia. And we, we've already moved on, but just to reflect back on that and go, man, how significant and serious was was that? It was it was crazy living through that and all the grief that followed, you know. So it's it's kind of like sometimes we forget a little bit about what happened. You know, it's also just been NADOC week here in Australia, which is a recognition and celebration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders culture and. While we weren't able to have many in-person events or festivals, it was great to see so many people supporting the week and giving voice to Indigenous platforms. Certainly the biggest or or most observed NADOC week I've seen, which is hopefully, hopefully a sign of the times that we are starting to really cherish and recognise the importance of the world's oldest civilization. So on those two notes, I'm really glad to say that my guest today is an Indigenous man, a Bunjalung man, who also works with fire. And I considered timing the release of this episode actually to fall on NADOC week, and I didn't. I decided against it for two reasons. One was that I wanted to give what very little space and airtime this podcast takes up to really allow those Indigenous voices and platforms to come through throughout NADOC week. But secondly, and the main reason, is that this idea that we celebrate Aboriginal culture for a week and then move on is crazy, of course. I mean, that's not the intention of NADOC Week, but maybe some people feel that way. So in the spirit of keeping the conversation going about Indigenous culture, I wanted to release this episode after NADOC Week just to keep things going. So who is my guest today? Well, let me say firstly, I've loved all of my guests and all of my conversations so far. This one might be my favorite yet. My guest today is a Bunjalung man who has started a not-for-profit whose work both cares for country as well as cultivates Aboriginal culture. His organization, Fire Sticks Alliance, uses cultural indigenous fire practices to maintain landscapes and keep a balanced ecosystem. But not only that, Fire Sticks brings together Indigenous people and puts them back on country and back practicing their cultural ceremonial practices. There's something about fire that brings us together. It's special. We gather around fire, and Fire Sticks Alliance does exactly that. It's very symbolic. It brings us together in a purposeful ceremonial way to connect with each other and the land. So, in this conversation, we talk about all things 
fire. We talk about climate change on worsening conditions. We talk about our mismanagement of the land where in our westernized mindset, we homogenize and try to control landscapes rather than working with what nature gives us. We talk about our disconnection as a whole from nature and how media narratives and language like fighting fires and wars on fire are fueling our separation from country. We talk about the power that fire has to bring us together. We obviously talk about the amazing work that Firesticks is doing and so much more. I think you're really going to love this conversation with co-founder of Firesticks Alliance, Oliver Costello. Put your feet up, whatever. Make yourself at home. I'm just uh, happy that you're here. Cool. Do you want to get straight in? Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming to my home. Usually it's me traveling out to the, you know, guests, the homes of guests or, or their offices. This is the first time I've actually had someone in my home. So welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a very beautiful location. Thank over you. Wollumbin there. I know. Yeah. Look, looking over Wollumbin, the entire design of the house was to frame that because mm. it's so beautiful. Um, and I'm, I'm mindful that this might be my house, but uh, I want to acknowledge that this is Bunjalung land, you know, and I want to pay my respects. I want to acknowledge that and pay my respects to um, Bunjalung people and the Bunjalung nation who are the custodians of this beautiful part of the world in which we live. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as a Bunjalung man, it's a, yeah, thanks for that acknowledgement. Yeah, and it's so important to honour that, honour country and honour our elders and, and pay respects to the land. So thank you. Mate, absolute pleasure. So the, the name of the show is called The Overview Effect and it's inspired by this term or this experience that astronauts have they shoot up into space and they look back and see earth for the first time as a whole hanging there in space and they explain it as this really kind of profound almost spiritual experience where they they don't see the kind of cultural norms they don't see the national boundaries they see the earth for what it is and our world for what it is and many of them come back to earth and they're kind of profoundly changed in the way that they view and interact with the world so I wanted to start there, big picture, and ask you if you've had a moment in time or other an experience or a period in your life that has shaped you to be who you are and the way that you see the world. Yeah, well, I certainly have an experience um, looking at the world from space, but um, and but I do have, I guess, I have had a few sort of profound um, moments in my life where you know, sort of, I guess, see things from you know, have a sense of clarity. Um, around purpose or or even a, a question I guess around um, around the, you know going forward and I have this this memory of um it's one of my sort of early memories of um, I think I was probably about eight and um, I think there was I don't know some drums happening in the house or whatever and I was I was out um, up on the road um, just um, this is just at Clunes where I grew up um, I was out on the road and I just had this sort of real sense of kind of awareness of, um, you know, the need, I guess this feeling of a lack of purpose and a feeling a need for purpose. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, like 
I, can't, I don't even remember why it was I was there, but I just have this memory of standing literally kind of at the crossroads, you know, of sort of like the the road that I grew up on and then the road that goes down to the creek, which is kind of where I sort of developed my sense of connection to country, you know, and sort of we go, you know, down fishing and this is on the Wilson, Wilson Creek. And so, yeah, this kind of, you know, and I've sort of had similar experiences over time where, yeah, this sort of, yeah, this just sort of sound, you just feel so connected um, to country and to this kind of awareness that you're a part of it and a questioning about why am I a part of it and what is my purpose. And that's kind of what's at, you know, points of my life where I like to come back to that point in my life, which is one of my first memories. And that helps mm. me sort of help shift my thinking. Yeah. So they're, how wonderful to have those reference points when you get mm. stuck in the day-to-day and the craziness of the modern world to be able to reflect and bring yourself back to those. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I want to – I definitely want to talk to you, obviously, about fire sticks and some of the great stuff you guys are doing. But before we jump there, I thought it might be, might be interesting to reflect and particularly on – I mean, particularly on this time last year – we in this region and in other parts of the country we were going through some horrific bushfires um i was actually up at binabara lodge the night it burned down you yeah, know wow. so we yeah it was crazy we evacuated out of there and a few hours later it was gone and we all remember the black smoke and the red and orange skies and it felt apocalyptic you know and and there was that fear and then that grief of after you know after the bushfires had come through and i guess I want to ask you as someone who has been working with land management particularly around fire and as someone who's an aboriginal man and who's connected to country how did you feel through all of that all of those months those many months of horrific fires yeah it's um it's quite traumatized at times but also because you know the the fire sticks journey it's it's been like kind of i don't know like there's so much interest and so there's this kind of it's like exciting but it's also traumatizing, you know, and, and like, you know, obviously like, I, cause I've engaged, you know, like I've been working with communities in lots of areas that were impacted by the fire. So like my main areas that I've been, you know, like been on country with communities sort of is from Southeast Queensland down to Victoria where those, you know, quite significant um, major fires occurred. So I know some of that country, not that well, not as well as local custodians, but like I know some of that country, I've driven through it. I've known some of the communities, so I've been connected to a whole heap of people that were literally like, you know, impacted, lost their homes or, yeah. um, and so even myself, that nightcap um, fire, you know, like we got evacuated from our place at Rosebank mm. and then going down to um, Christmas, my family, my partner's family, um, even the Blue Mountains, so we're having Christmas down there. Um, and then, yeah, the fires come through just before we got there. And so, like, wow. it's just all these kind of, um, you know, like, it, it's real. And it's still, I still haven't really processed it all because, you know, there's been so much interest in cultural yes. burning and fire sticks the whole time. It's kind of, it's all a bit of a blur, really. It's hard, like, it's been yeah. going on for over a year now because the first fires were in August up here. So that's mm-hmm. when the sort of, for me, I started paying attention to, you know, like, oh, this is going to be bad fire season. And we started, you know, like being concerned, you know, because of the, you know, what we were seeing happening here in the very, you know, like very early days, you mm-hmm. know, of the season in August last year. And then, you know, and then it ran through to February. So it's yeah. an amazing kind of like, you know, period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And so why was it so bad? Is it, I mean, obviously, last season there were 
seasonal conditions with drought and and all that but is it just that that was a just happened to be a bad year or has there been this slow progression to worsening conditions because of the way in which we're maybe managing or mismanaging it yeah it's it's a combination of those factors so you know from you know you know i don't have a long time history in fire management like i first started you know kind of getting interested in it in the last 10 or 15 years and i'd had experiences with fire before that um but you know from what i've seen in that time and the work that i've done engaging for you know traditional custodians and scientists and land managers and practices i've been engaging with the the broader spectrum of of fire and land management and 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 emergency management services and, and local people what what i've seen is that yeah the fire regimes are out of whack and they have we are seeing sort of bigger and hotter fires just generally some of that's been driven by climate change um but yeah like coming off the back of the drought um such huge areas that i would say haven't been managed well for a couple hundred years um and and then and then you know just like the yeah just just the just the climate driven weather behavior with all this fuel because what we've seen as well like is that some of the backburning and hazard reduction activities the agencies are doing and i i you know i support the intent i know what they're trying they're trying to reduce fuel they're trying to make the environment um or you know less dangerous for the life and property but unfortunately some of the science and some of the practice isn't quite right and so we're seeing in some areas that backburning and hazard reduction work actually having a negative impact in the way that it increases vegetation responses of mm. particularly shrubby things which are what are so volatile under those extremes so that's the thing like when you've got these really hot dry times you know that's when you can have these extreme fires um occur and so that's what we're going to see more of in the future and that's why it's so important that we take action with climate change as well as get our land management right yeah wow so when am i right in that when these really hot fires go through whether it is hazard reduction or, or particularly, you know, these out-of-control bushfires, that then creates the conditions for the vegetation to come in that can grow in those hotter climates that then they're actually more prone to burning again in the future. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's not a rule, It's a, and there's lots of variables, sure. but often um, when you burn... And see, some of the areas that were really high-intensity fire areas like... Um, wet sclerophyll and sort of you know sh- sort of shrubby eucalypt sort of um, forests and stuff sometimes like they're really hard to do hazard reductions in and like a lot of back burning like um is only if you know they they can only do it in those wildfire sort of conditions and even then it's not that effective sometimes so like so you, you see this kind of inability sometimes to prescribe burn and back burn to, to reduce the fuel because it's not hot you know the fire is not intense enough and that's the thing. And then you have these huge intense fires coming through. And so one of the, what happens is in some of those areas, because of the intensity of the fire, you actually like wipe out the canopy. Mm. Um, and because there was already lots of um, shrubs there before, there's lots of seed, like wattles and tea trees. Are the, you know, and wattles and tea trees are natives and they're you know, beautiful. They've got lots of cultural and natural values. But they can often become like invasive and overabundant. Yep. And so when they're there at a certain density – for years they'll create lots of seed and then you have this sort of hot fire come through take out all the canopy really knock back the parent trees like um and then you get this mass germination of those shrubby things that outcompete a lot of the ground um stories and even some of the other um you know what would be the parent trees some so these end up with this quite often homogenous often Mm. really quite um yeah um what's the word for it 
I've lost it now. Where the there are only really one or two species, so the um, so there's kind like like a monoculture. Monoculture is yep. what I'm looking for. Yeah, so there's a monoculture. They're very homogenous, and the thing about fire as well is that a lot of it revolves around the time since fire. So you end up with everything kind of growing back at the same age, which means you know like when the fires. And this is one of the issues with modern fire management is that they tend to burn what culturally we would have burnt in different times of the year because they're different like you know gum tree boxwood you know iron bark you know like different you know different communities of heath and sclerophyll and whatnot they tend to start to burn more of them together at the same time and they start to homogenize so you end up and then they tend to get bigger as well because they're all the, like one area got burnt at the same time and it all comes back at the same time and then when the next fire comes often the fire will get bigger and run into another area and then you get a bigger area homogenizing and so it's really hard to stop a fire in a system that's of the same age class because it's all the same age of fuel and it wants to go together. Right. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so then our response, it seems like our response to all of those bushfires, we had the community kind of rally together. And again, the intent was really great, but it seems like we, we threw, we raised a ridiculous amount of money for, and there were all these calls for things like more water bombers, more firefighting services, you know, I think there was that Celeste Barber's fifty-plus million-dollar campaign, all went to firefighting, which is great. But it also feels was that a little bit like treating the symptom, you know, and treating our ability to react to an issue. Whereas, could we be looking to maybe reduce the severity or even prevent some of these issues yeah, from occurring? Yeah, there's always going to be wildfires, and there always has been. Um, and um, and I don't even like calling them wildfires, you know cultural context because like fire is our law teacher you know and the first fires were you know lightning strike fires even before humans came along fire you know and has been a part of these ecosystems for a long time and all people learnt to adapt and evolve and so lightning and and you know even up in the in other parts of the country birds of a fire law teachers as well so there's fires that humans don't control, which I would say are cultural. They're a part of the cultural landscape. And, and, and the only reason they're bad is because we're not following our law and practice. We're not learning from the fires and implementing the right fires for that for the country. So when, if we burn, like, you know, all the areas that we, you know, like our pathways, our camping areas, our resource areas, like look after our country and, and, and lightning, our law teacher, our ancestor, lights a fire on the ridge and it burns, it doesn't mean that's a bad fire. But what's happened is that that, that, that practice has been diminished and, um, frankly, extinguished by colonisation. And so we're seeing these these really bad fires. So for us, it's really, I know it's it's very frustrating to kind of see um, the culture that's developed around fire from our point of view because we're like, fire is our law teacher, we must respect it, we must use it to look after the country. And it's become the enemy of society and, and, yeah. and it's become you know a a war mentality so if you look at the establishment a lot of the land management and fire management agencies that like post-war constructs that have a lot of military decision-making systems in them and you look at the the way that you know um it's communicated in the media it's you know everyone's about fighting fires it's war on fire and for me if i break it back to what i was saying about that cultural fire it's a like it's a war on country so we're like we think that we can fight the land and that we are you know and that you know when and i have this quite and it's, it's it's not an easy conversation to have when you tell people you shouldn't just put lightning fires out just because you know you can it's like you need to be looking after the country and you know if you and if we make a decision that we need to 
you know, suppress a fire from being able to expand that's been lit by lightning, well, that, you know, we should make a, make, making sure that we're making that decision based on the best evidence. Because essentially it's like disrespecting our elders and our knowledge holders by, te- by telling them, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, we do. And, and so by seeing all this money, you know, being raised and going, and, and the, the mantra, you know, look, we probably need more helicopters and, and planes and training and all that sort of stuff. But we also need people that know how to read country, people that know how to walk country, people that know how to burn the right way, people that know how to communicate to the public and land managers and landholders how they can prepare for fire, how they can, you know, how we can build and develop land that, you know, in a way that's actually not just responsive to fire, but responsive to the sustainability of our country so that we're not just destroying all these landscapes all the time. Because that's what we've seen the last couple of hundred years. We've seen what are some of the most abundant and beautiful landscapes in the world like this bundjalung country was so productive with you know like so much food so much like story and well-being and a yeah. place that people would be so happy to live in um in any time in their the history of humanity you'd be so happy to live in that place you know and now it's you know our rivers are sick our land's been cleared you know like we're, this morning we were planting planting trees at Bangalore, you know and and you look around the landscape and most of the trees are lucky to be you know yes. 50 60 years old and, and and i've seen photos of those landscapes 50 60 years ago or even less and they're all bare and so you just sort of feel this stark kind of reality that we you know this is an opportunity to to wake up yeah and 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 to think you know not to you know um disrespect the heroism of people volunteers and fire you know professional firefighters getting out there and fighting fires but it's the wrong narrative we need to be understanding our role in the landscape and if we don't do that we're losing a battle we can't you know we can't win against the environment we can't beat you know like we've got to work with it and understand it and evolve with it as you know that's the only way humans will survive because we'll come and go um if we don't learn that lesson yeah yeah that it's it's a really powerful way of explaining it and it, it reminds me of a you know the conversation I had with Eleanor Bancroft, who was a previous guest, who, talking about decolonization mm. in the broader sense of, you know, we we just unconsciously accept societal's norms and you know unconsciously take them on as children and and actually stepping out of that and reframing our thinking to go we can live in a different way and our our, our cultural and societal norms are not set in stone and you know it was really powerful even just the language that you're talking about yeah, the concept of firefighters, mm. you know, the, that we are there to fight fire, to fight this natural process as if we're separate from it. You know, we've got to create fire breaks from our homes because we don't want the fire to burn down our house yeah. like we're separate from it. Whereas I think what I'm hearing from you is that it's, it's reframing that mindset to go, well, we're not separate from nature. It, it's not even that we're in tune with nature. We are nature yeah. and we are part of these processes. And um, that's a really powerful way of framing it. So I wonder if that is a good lead in to ask you, what then is your take on cultural fire? And what mm. does that mean from that more holistic perspective? Because it's not just small scale hazard reduction burns, no, is it? No. And if I could come to that in a second is... Mm part of what frames that thinking is that you know like my belief and the belief of many first nations people is that we belong to country we're a part of country that custodianship so it comes through connection so we don't own it you know mm. we're a part of it you know in the sense it's our mother you know and the provider and 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 that just i think you know when you think of, you know you can say a lot of things at a rhetoric level when you think about that at a deeper level and you you you, you don't remove yourself 
you know, as humans have in a sense that we're superior to animals and plants and, you know, we can conquer. And it's like, no, yeah, we're all a part. They're our brothers and sisters. They're our kinship, um, which is one of the things back to the other question about how traumatising it is to see the fires when you know that, you know, like millions of your, your kin have been, you know, incinerated. And, you know, and we talk about how many human lives and properties were lost. Well, yes. we forget, you know, that it's, you know, and people obviously environmentally minded people care about the loss of those animals but do they think of it in the same context that they're actually their families and the the and the families that have been related to for you know thousands of years if not longer you know our identity is shaped by the land and the animals and plants that we've eaten and lived with for thousands of years so it's actually a part of our genetic identity as Mm. well so that's another story and well if i can and if i can just um, say so and you talk about kind of environmentally minded people and I count myself in this camp at least historically I got into kind of very westernized like corporate sustainability and the environment again like it's separate to us yeah. would be explained to us in terms of ecosystem services you know mm. what it can provide to us like it's important to have biodiversity because that provides x amount of dollars yeah. or you know this service to us mm. as humans so even that framing is yeah. That again, that's we're separate yeah. from nature. Whereas, what you're talking about is, it's doing it because you are it. Well, right? we, and, and, and we and we know this because <laughs> like we breathe the air. Yeah. And the, the 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 plants make the oxygen that we breathe in. You know, mm-hmm. we drink the water. Like we're you know our body is country. Our you know and our all that we're intrinsically linked. You know, like mm-hmm. I was listening to the radio, they were talking about fungus and fire, and you know, like the, there's this all these really deep processes that you know intrinsically connected and old people didn't have that sort of sense of science around how we frame things now they just knew it like they just knew oh you do this this happens if you don't do that that happens and that's why it's important that we understand we're a part of a living thing and we have to play our part in that living thing and not remove ourselves from it and give ourselves some kind of status above what we are as a part of one thing yeah Yeah. so coming back to your question about cultural fire that's really what i guess for me it is it's about understanding that that you know we like are a part of this kind of you know and we as humans have a role to play in the culture because we often culture often becomes about you know human societies or you know social structures in general and i think when i think about culture fire i think well i think about the plants the animals the place the soils you know the atmosphere like they all share connections and together they form a system you know and and that system has needs you know so we need you know sun and we need light we need soil we need nutrients all these things are happening and so fire culture fire is about providing the fire that belongs to that culture and that culture changes as you walk through a country the systems change the people change so the cultural fire changes you know and so that's that's been one of the challenges that we see in Western constructs of homogenizing and generalizing and trying to segregate and group and all the kind of functions that happen is that, you know, you end up with statewide fire thresholds, you know, and they have all these different um, ecosystem types or, you know, vegetation communities that have prescriptions about how long it should be minimum and, you know, intervals of fire. And it's like when you go to the places and you go, well, that doesn't work here. You know, and people are like, oh, but the obligate cedars, you know, they need five to 10 or 15 years to grow. It's like, but the fire for that country right here, that tree doesn't even get burnt. So it doesn't, it, what, it doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. But because a lot of the fire guidelines are, are based on hazard reductions and wildfires, when those trees get burnt down, they're like, oh, no, you can't have any fire. So you start to see that you lose that connection 
to the land which is the culture of the land which is you know been our old people have been the custodians of that culture for thousands of years and so that's what we're trying to do is actually bring back that custodianship and that sense of connection and it's you know and it's going to take you know like a long time like people were so amazing at hunting gathering burning and 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 the, the politics of you know kinship and family over thousands of years because they were living it all year round every you know like where they went and now in a modern society we're so disconnected from that so we've got to find new pathways and new tools to kind of give people more opportunities to be a part of that and to understand it and and make those changes Mm. we're so reductionistic aren't we Mm. in our current world we just want to know what the answer is you know give me a number and give me a process and i'll follow that and i'm sure that that's probably what you've probably felt in the last year with fire sticks after especially this last bushfire season is okay fire sticks what's the answer what do we need to do how do we fix it <laughs> do people come to you with those sorts of questions oh yeah there's a yeah there's a it's a it's funny because you get you sort of take take you start to take things for granted you know and and like particularly leading into this fire season we're getting a lot of interest from people that want us to come and burn now and we're like oh well it's a bit late now to start planning to do a burn there's only you know and a lot of our country wouldn't burn anymore now because the seasons are changing and the winds have come and you know like today last three days we've had total fire bans um but you know in the next few weeks there'll be windows that you could probably burn different country but it's so and then often and and maybe we go and have a look at where people want to burn and it's like not even possible to burn there you know, right. so there's just, you know, and it's no, not having gone anywhere. It's just you, you start to take for granted what you do know and you start to forget what others may not know. And it, it really kind of makes me think more about how do we inform that, that, that knowledge and that expansion of knowledge in people that aren't going to be fire practitioners, people that just want to know that their house is safe and that the, you know, the land that they live in is being managed and trying to provide those, those pathways for learning. But it is a bit challenging because... Like we do feel like we've got all these solutions, but they're not silver bullets. We can't solve the fire problems um, of Australia tomorrow. You know, I think you know, give us a couple of decades and some, you know, and and you know, um, even a little bit of the money that gets spent um, mm. in the current fire management framework and what it, you know and what they spend building and recovering from fires, and we'd we'd have a pretty good crack at it. Um, so we're hoping that people will start to get behind us because yeah like it, the investment that i've seen in cultural fire management in the last 10 years is just tiny it's yeah. it's it's insignificant in in relation to the investment that goes into the current fire management industry how much of that goes into you know fire cultural as a proper investment because you know there's, there's a lot of engagement in aboriginal employment and joint management and so people are spending money in sort of around Aboriginal people and culture in fire space, but they're not funding cultural fire management, not funding cultural fire practitioners or training or, you know, giving us those kind of opportunities that we're asking for. So I think that'll change and it mm. definitely is shifting um, and hopefully we can answer some of those questions. And sadly, like a lot of things, um, a lot of the, the questions, the, the solutions are already there, mm. you know, and it's one of the most frustrating things about life, I think, that... <laughs> As a, you know, I've spent one of those other profound moments where you're sort of, you're standing there and you're going, I want to be making decisions or answering questions that are new. They're new problems. They're not the ones that we've been dealing with for decades that have answers to that we just can't work out, you know, because we're too stubborn or ignorant or whatever, you know, or we just haven't, no one's ever told us or or we can't understand, whatever, whatever the reason is, because there is often so many solutions that are just right in front of us but for whatever reason we don't we don't make those decisions and so 
and that's to me the point of you know evolution mm. is that we want to be dealing with the new challenges and and we have so many like look at climate change and yep. look at you know what look at trying to heal these landscapes after what's happened to them they're, they're new problems and we walk into landscapes all the time and like oh how would you burn this culture and it's like well it, you know this these trees never belong to you you know someone's yeah. gone and planted a whole heap of you know trees and they've done it the landscape's all different so they're new problems but they're not necessarily um totally new in a sense that there's that there's there's been challenges before that are similar and you can use that and bridge that knowledge and you know and work through new challenges mm. yeah so just going back to fire sticks for a moment so i'm 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 interested if you can just paint the picture a little bit more about, I guess, what was the motivation for starting it, as well as what kind of exactly does Firesticks do, mm. and what are what are your focuses going forward? Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna I'm not sure if I'm gonna rehash things I've said, but basically, like I, I moved to the, you know, I grew up in the, this Bundjalung country, and fire wasn't really a feature. Like I don't have any childhood memories until I was sort of in my teens of, of fire in the landscape. And that was only when I moved out towards Lanook and, and, and it was more, um, a bit more fire prone that country. And um, they, the local community there that I was living at the time, you know, um, rallied together and set up the um, Lanook Fire Brigade and built a fire shed. And I remember going out and doing some burning um, with my mother's um, partner at the time, Ken. And I thought that was great. Like I was with him, like we, when we were at the front, we were lighting the fire, you know. Um, and it was pretty was a pretty cool fire really like it wasn't it wasn't um wasn't a bad fire for memory um but then it wasn't really till i went to the blue mountains and started you know i was living there and i sort of just ended up there for lots of different reasons and family and sort of a bit of trauma and stuff and and then i saw the fire you know you this kind of scary fight like now you know this time of year in the blue mountains mm. if people are getting nervous they had a huge well you know and i guess for some people they'll be like oh well the fires were so big last year you know there's, there's they're probably feeling a little bit safe like if you live in blackheath and some of those towns you'd probably be feeling pretty a little bit safe at the moment because there's not much fuel yeah. around but other parts of the mountains are quite vulnerable anyway so i'm digressing but basically yeah so i was starting to live in the mountains and i started thinking about fire a lot i was and i started thinking a lot about what's happening out in that million hectares out there and what were the old people doing i was really i was you know spent a lot of time disengaged i was quite um depressed and isolated you know i spent a lot of time really struggling with why am i here and what's going on here and going back to those you know eight-year-old sort of moments thinking what's this all about you know and i was really disconnected and and then um i started sort of pulling myself together and i tell this story in other places but some friends and family sort of rallied around me and i sort of got a bit of purpose going again and um and then not long after that my mother came back from arnhem land with this old man um billy yalawonga and so mum and billy have both passed away now but um he come back and he spoke seven languages english was his worst and he's you know he painted the brown falcon which is um in some of those in jeremy russell smith's book and some of the narratives around you know the brown falcon moves the fire it's one of the fire law teachers and he's painting he's, a, he's an artist and you know song man and you know like this movies of him back in the 70s or the 80s and he's like looking after the ancestor caves with the bones in it and you know the, the rock art and and so really quite culturally connected guy and and he his his vision at the time was to get his family back on country because they'd been they'd moved off country and his father kept them on country like they were some of the last people to to you know move off that arnhem plateau 
um, his family. And, um, and so, and my mum was like, oh, they're doing all this fire stuff, you know, like carbon trading. And, you know, there was, that was the time that there was really that, there was only a voluntary agreement with Coca Phillips around Savannah burning. And it was all sort of before the methodologies and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, well, we should be doing something like that in these landscapes too. And I started looking into it and, you know, it seemed like, you know, the science wasn't there. But it, it sort of sparked my vision of how do we create livelihoods on country that, you know, um, enable people to maintain their culture and their practice. And that's what I was thinking about. So how do we provide, a you know, a learning pathway so people can come and learn from people like, like Billy and others that doesn't just become like a tourist attraction. So it's like, oh, let's go see how the Aboriginal people live. It's like, no, let's go and learn about ways of understanding and connecting the country and supporting change in the world that, that's out of this place that needs to happen. Um, and then I'm telling a very long narrative for this, but and then so I've got this sort of you know this, and then a few years sort of passed, and I got into uni, uh, I got into this leadership program, Centre for Sustainable Leadership. A mate of mine, a bit of a mentor, um, Jason DeSantolo, sort of said, "I'll oh, come and work on this project." They were doing a media project at looking at Landalai, which is an Aboriginal land management program that's state funded. Um, so yeah, that sounds great, and I, and I end up I end up going out on this project site just near Lucas Heights in Menai. Um, and Victor Stephenson was in the team. And so, you know, Victor's uh, a cultural fire practitioner. I didn't know him at the time, I didn't, you know. Um, and, and then, you know, he just recently launched his book, Fire Country, which I recommend people check it out. And it tells his story and, the, you know, and how he, he found his, his way into this, this fire story and, and also what he's learned and how important that is for us or for the country and the world to understand what, what we can do to help change and, and heal country. Anyway, so we walk out and he starts saying, oh, this country's ready to burn and starts talking, you know, having all this knowledge and I was just sort of like, you know, basically connected with him and saying, oh, I've, you know, got this passion as well and I've got this leadership program I'm doing and so in the leadership program you had to have a project. So that's when Fire Sticks, you know, was sort of first mm. born for me because I took the concept of, you know, Fire Sticks to make fire and the kind of what is, you know, you know a term that's become commonly associated with cultural fire management but also, you know, message sticks. Also, how do we share that knowledge and how do we follow protocols and, you know, how do we understand, like, the whole complexity of what it takes, which is not just the technique. It's not just, oh, this is, you know, how we burn. It's also the protocols and the connections and the authority. So all that sort of story. So Fire Sticks has really been that. It's been trying to build a community of practice that can bring those people together, that can understand this is a journey to recognize and revive cultural fire and what it's largely looked like in the last few years is really advocacy work um trying to shift policy um training and mentoring around trying to get you know local you know custodians giving them some of the skills and knowledge that we have around how we you know burn or how we get through bureaucracy or how we get funding or whatever it is that we do to help progress the movement um into you know and draw from their knowledge draw from their their connection to country their values and this is one of the really the the things that you know when i first started doing this i didn't know about much about cultural fire um you know, and, 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 and you come up with this kind of people say, oh, the knowledge is lost or, the you know, you didn't have millions of dollars worth of houses and you just always kind of lots of barriers and, you know, and, 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 and this is to Elle's point as well about believing the colonisation, believing the kind of narratives and what I've, what I've found is that I go on country with elders and it's often they'll say, oh, I don't know about fire, you know, and, and, then, we, and then it's like, oh, okay, 
because for them they mean the way that agencies do it and you know and they haven't learned to burn in their lifetime they, they might have stories about their uncles or their parents or their grandparents or whatever in fire but they haven't really experienced that because often a lack of access to land or colonization prohibition there's a whole heap of things where people are restricted or imprisoned or you know punished for for burning but they have all this knowledge they know the bush tuckers or they know their cultural stories they know where their campsites where they have all this knowledge and that's fire knowledge because fire knowledge is knowledge of country it's knowing your values it's not just the technical application of fire it's a much broader understanding of country and so that's been really humbling to spend time with all these amazing elders and community members learning about their country and and being able to recognize their knowledge and say oh look you've got all this knowledge because people don't realize that they have this knowledge and then also being able to see people build knowledge which has been the most powerful vehicle like even in myself just to be able to like learn things and know that you know this kind of idea that knowledge comes from a book and you know it's like knowledge comes from practice and experience and so being able to provide that experience for people where they can learn and relearn and connect and strengthen and so you know and and just see you know particularly young people just grow and just take on just amazing kind of roles as custodians in really short periods of time based on really narrow experiences and that's what what we're arguing for is let's invest in country let's invest in custodianship let's like give there's so many young people that i work with and not even young people just aboriginal people in communities that are just just that just want to be on country walking burning hunting gathering planting you know managing weeds like and dealing with pests they just want to be out on country looking after it and they're stuck in town or stuck in a community they've got no car there's no job they're you know and there's all these programs that roll revolve that roll out roll, roll revolve around them all the time that don't even achieve any of those outcomes and you go this works what we're talking about we can see it's working why aren't we investing in it mm. so it's not and it's not just as you say the technical application of fire management it's so much more holistic it's um i, I can imagine that you take some of those people out of the cities and get them on country and get them participating in traditional, cultural, um, sacred, you know, practice, that it builds that connection. It's like a lot probably switches with a lot of these people. Maybe that's one of the, the moments in their life that they can reflect and come back to and go, wow, my view of the world changed at that point in time. Well, fire is a really powerful thing for that. And it's, it's powerful for lots of reasons. One is like all humans have a connection to fire because fire is like what our civilizations are all based on. We've all learnt to gather around the fire because of warmth, because of um, the light, you know, for, um, for cooking, for ceremony. So like all humans have this intrinsic connection to fire. And it's like when you walk into a room, you know, it doesn't happen every time. You walk into a room and often there's a fire. People will be drawn yes. to the fire. Oh, moths, better than, better than a TV. Light. So yeah. much better to watch. When you're at it, you know, you come into a fire workshop and, you know, and, and so when you light fire on country, people, you know, connected. Like even today, like I love planting trees, but when you plant trees, everyone's kind of like off planting trees. There's no focal point. But when you have a, a fire workshop, mm-hmm. everyone's drawn in and then people drift off. People then start off drifting off. But there's these connection points that are really powerful. So there's something about, there's something intrinsic about that kind of yes. like awareness that that happens and i've met people from around the world first nations people and they have that same thing too and all our ancestors it doesn't matter where you live now or where you come from eventually you'll find your way back to an indigenous connection to the land and and to fire um, maybe not a landscape fire but definitely and people have that 
that you know spiritual connection yep. um, to fire. And so, and back to your point as well, it's not just about taking people out of the cities too, because countries everywhere. And I was in you know Western Sydney the other day, you know, and you sort of weaving your way through suburbs and ending up in you know these are beautiful Cumberland Plain you know landscapes that need fire, you know, and they're not they're not getting it. So there's this there's this real opportunity to kind of um, reimagine our relationships with country i mm. think um as a as a, a strand society and support local aboriginal custodianship you know as a pathway for connection um mm. going forward yeah oliver you're so passionate about all this it's overflowing <laughs> it's really beautiful to hear and i'm sure anyone listening would would hear that and get that too so what what can people do if they want to help, if they want to help the, uh, reframe our relationship with country and support Firesticks? Yeah, so there's a few ways people can help. So they can come and check out firesticks.org.au. Um, you know, if people um, want to get involved, you know, they can donate, they can come to our workshops. Um, at the moment with, with COVID, you know, we're not running any workshops, but going forward, um, so yeah, come to our website, connect with us, um, engage in your landscape start to you know spend time more time on country start to look at the trees and the plants the animals and reach out to local custodians you know like it can be challenging at times you know i'm not saying that you know if you knock on the door of the land council every in every part of australia that there, you know there's going to be a lot of energy there receiving you but but there may be and it doesn't hurt to kind of reach out and to and to look at opportunities to support you know community development so that's a big part of you know, like we're obviously focused on this whole fire story, but it's a there's a bigger narrative around cultural land management, around community development, around decolonisation, yes. um, yes. and and so you know if people have opportunities to help provide more culturally safe spaces um, for Aboriginal engagement in their work, in their you know social life, well then that's a good that's a good place to start, um, and and yeah, like listen to country you know let country guide you you know that's that's the that's really i think the opportunity that you all have and then hopefully you'll you'll end up in the space that that you feel comfortable and then you can support um that 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 better management of country wherever you are yeah yeah beautiful and so so it's don't wait you know just take even if it's even if you know nothing, even if you're not sure about indigenous practices, even if you don't know anyone, just just go and try to. If you're feeling like you would like to know more, just go and try to seek it out. Yeah, you know, you're not going to step on anyone's toes. Don't yeah. be afraid. Just, just be on. respectful and polite, yeah. and you know, and you've got to go. You know, like a lot of you know in Aboriginal communities, a lot of trust issues with strangers, um, a lot of trust issues with with government and industries and stuff. So, you know, it's just about kind of just trying to be, you know. Like try not to be a tourist, you know what I mean. Try and yes. like try and be someone that's kind of there to connect and share, you know. And and it doesn't have to just you know like just with country, like yeah. get out in the landscape and and learn about the bush, you know, and and seek out the cultural knowledge holders that are active in the community. You know, there'll be people in different parts of the community doing different things, you know, um, mm. and and seek them out. But you know, like I said, you know, five six dot org yep. You know, we've got films, we've got you know, you know, we're you know, small grassroots, not-for-profit organisation, but we've got this huge movement of Aboriginal communities and, and other supporters out there that want to be a, a part of it. So there's opportunities to engage in that network pretty much all through um, Australia, but mainly on the east coast of Australia. Um, and, and hopefully in the coming years, people will be able to engage more in our workshops. Um, where There's so much interest out there and we're mm. just hoping that we can get the funding and the, you know, the policy changes 
um, you know, to be able to build the capacity in our own organisation, but also the Aboriginal communities, organisations that we work with, so that there's these positive pathways just down the road that you can, you know, you can see cultural fire in the landscape. You can know who the practitioners are. You can come and learn and and be guided by that knowledge. Um, mm. and, and that's really what we need to happen. That's yep. the the end game, really. Yeah. Yep. That's beautiful, mate. Look, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for being part of the show, for lending your time, do- donating your time to to get the message out. Um, but also on a much deeper level, thank you for the work that you're doing. You know, like I said, you're clearly extremely passionate about it, and um, I think it's it's vitally important work. And so, thank you for being that connection point for the community. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to share. Like it. You know, it's really important and it's, you know, we're very humbled by the support and the interest, you know, so just, you know, you're reaching out and wanting to have a conversation, you know, I really value that um, and and that's that's the pathway forward that we, the more we connect with each other, the more that we share, the more that we understand what we're, we're speaking about because we, you know, we, we all, you know, we're all speaking but are we hearing each other and so this kind of dialogue is, is really great and, um, and thank you for the opportunity to share, yeah. Pleasure, absolute pleasure. Let's go get outside. Yeah, great. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Awesome. 